Hi guys, I'm Chris. Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. And as promised, throughout the month of September, we're giving you wood. That's right. Elijah Wood. And first up in our wood series is a movie I've been trying to get Chris to watch for a couple years. One of my favorites, The Faculty. And this was a first time watch for me. And I was super excited to be able to watch it with him for the first time. So... The Faculty is a 1998 American teen science fiction horror film directed by Robert Rodriguez and written by Kevin Williamson of Dawson's Creek fame. The movie follows a group of teenagers who believe that the teachers in their school are being replaced by alien doubles, and it stars... (gasps) Jordana Brewster, Claire Duvall, Laura Harris, Josh Hartnett, Sean Hattosi, Famke Jansen, Piper Laurie, B.B. Newworth, Robert Patrick, Salma Hayek, Usher Raymond, Jon Stewart, Harry Knowles, and most importantly... Elijah Wood. (laughs) (laughs) The original draft of the script was written by David Wechter and Bruce Kimmel in 1990, but they couldn't sell it. After the wild success of Scream, Miramax bought the script and rushed it into production. Kevin Williamson was brought on to do some rewrites to make it a little bit more hip, as he had done with Scream and a few of its sequels, as well as I Know What You Did Last Summer, Dawson's Creek, and The Vampire Diaries. He was offered directorial duties, but chose to focus on his other script, Touching Mrs. Tingle. Teaching. Oh, sorry. Teaching Mrs. Tingle. (laughs) (laughs) They did touch her, though. Okay. Robert Rodriguez was brought on board to direct instead. So being the Texas boy he is, Rodriguez shot the film in Austin, San Marcos, Dallas, and Lockhart, Texas, despite the film being set in Ohio. Yeah, because Texas looks so much like Ohio every time I go outside. They did a good job. Yeah, I know. Okay, listeners. Guaranteed to jack you up. This is The Faculty. From Kevin Williamson, the writer of Scream and Scream 2... From Robert Rodriguez, the director of From Dust Till Dawn, comes a new science fiction thriller. No more pencils, no more books, no more teachers' dirty looks. The students at Harrington High have always suspected their teachers were from another planet. Is this going to be on the test? This is the test. This time, they're right. Now, these six students won't just question authority, they'll have to destroy it. Critics are calling it hip and scary. A thrilling ride from beginning to end. It's the faculty. Please report to the principal's office. It's a normal day at Harrington High School in Ohio. Coach Joe Willis, played by Robert Patrick, is angry at his football team for being so shitty during a practice before the big game, and is angrily knocking stuff around when he is seemingly attacked from behind. Later that evening, Principal Drake, played by B.B. Newworth, is breaking some bad financial news to drama teacher Mrs. Olson, played by Piper Laurie, history teacher Mr. Tate, Daniel Von Bergen, and Mrs. Bremel. When Principal Drake forgets her keys in her office, she goes back to get them and is attacked by Coach Willis. 
He chases her through the halls, but she manages to escape outside with a shocked Mrs. Olson, who emotionally murders her with a pair of scissors and prays she finds Jesus. (laughs) She could see her dirty pillow, so she cut them off. The following day, the students begin to arrive at school, including bullied wimp Casey, played by Elijah Wood, head cheerleader and newspaper editor Delilah, played by Jordana Brewster, her mistreated boyfriend Stan, played by Sean Hatosi, and intelligent but rebellious Zeke, played by Josh Hartnett, gothy loner Stokely, played by Clea Duvall, and naive new student Mary Beth, played by Laura Harris. Mary Beth quickly tries to befriend Stokely, even after learning rumors that she's a lesbian, and she quickly develops a crush on Zeke, who's been selling a personal drug concoction called Scat to students despite being confronted by English teacher Mrs. Burke, played by Famke Jansen. Casey finds a strange creature on the football field and takes it to the science teacher, Edward Furlong, (laughs) played by John Stewart, who believes it to be a new species and wants to send it to the local university for study. Delilah and Casey enter the teacher's lounge to find a story for the newspaper and are forced to hide in a closet when Coach Willis and Mrs. Olson enter, acting strangely. When Nurse Harper, played by Salma Hayek, enters for her purse, they attack her and infest her with a parasite in her ear. Casey and Delilah flee, but are caught in the hallway by a perfectly fine Principal Drake. They call the police, but nothing comes of it. The following day, Casey convinces Stokely that the school's faculty are being impersonated by aliens, who are slowly infecting the students and the rest of the town. Along with Delilah and Stan, they attempt to find the creature in the science lab, but are overheard by Zeke and Mary Beth, who join them. When Mr. Furlong attempts to infect them, they kill him by stabbing a pinful of Zeke's drug into his eyeball. It's an eye full of scat. <laughs> Guaranteed to give you pink eye. They steal the specimen Casey found and head to Zeke's house so he can study it. He learns that the aliens need water and that his drugs can kill them. Unsure if any of the group have been infected, they all force each other to take the drug to flush out any aliens. Delilah is discovered to be infected and flees, but not before destroying Zeke's lab and much of his supply. Acting on Stokely's superior sci-fi knowledge, they head back to the school to kill the alien queen, assuming it's Principal Drake thus reverting every other infected person back to normal. They corner her in the gym and fatally shoot her, and waste almost all the drugs in the process. Stan heads out to the football field to see if their plan worked, but finds the team infested and standing in the rain for the water. They infect him. Casey and Zeke head to his car for the precious remaining drugs. Casey attempts to distract other infected students while Zeke incapacitates Mrs. Burke when she attacks him. Back at the gym, Mary Beth reveals herself to be the queen alien to Stokely, telling her that she faked taking the drug earlier in the day. Mary Beth starts to transform into her alien self, as Casey and Stokely flee to the pool, where alien Mary Beth injures and infects her. Zeke and Casey hide in the locker room, where a now human again Mary Beth explains that she's taking over Earth because her home planet is dying. Reverting back to her true form, Mary Beth hurls Zeke across the room, knocking him out. Casey grabs the remaining drugs and is chased by the queen alien through the gym and behind the set of retreating bleachers. She is trapped, but sends alien parasites into Casey's face. While they struggle to take hold of him, he stabs the drug into the queen's eye, killing her and the parasites. Casey returns to the locker room to find Stokely and Zeke alive. A month later, 
everyone has returned to normal and the school has been set upon by reporters. Stan and Stokely, who has shed her goth girl image, are now dating. Zeke has taken Stan's place on the football's team, and Miss Burke comes to watch him practice, because they've started a very inappropriate relationship, apparently. A much less bitchy Delilah is now dating Casey, who is considered a local hero or celebrity, as news media continue to reveal the details of the goings-on at Harrington High. The two kiss and walk off to meet an approaching group of reporters. The end. For sure. Yes, that's very much an ending. That's right. And there were no sequels, so the end. No question mark. The Faculty was released on December 25th, 1998, on 2,365 screens. It brought in a little more than $11.5 million opening weekend, securing the number five spot at the box office behind Patch Adams, Stepmom, You've Got Mail, and The Prince of Egypt. (laughs) It would go on to gross more than $40 million domestically, with a global total of $63.2 million against a reported budget of $15 million. So respectable. Yeah. Yeah. It was clear that Miramax and the Weinsteins were banking on the success of the film following the pattern that followed Scream's wild success. December release, hot teen stars, Kevin Williamson, all the pieces of the puzzle were in place and should have worked. Jordana Brewster remembers, it was sort of an inverse of Fast and the Furious, right? With that, like, I was like, this is a small movie about cars. It's really fun summer project. With the faculty, it was like, you guys, this is going to be huge. Look at all the successes around us. Like, she's all that and scream. And then it turned out to be it wasn't so huge. So we thought it was going to be massive, but it became a cult classic. So I guess that's really cool. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was trying so hard not to laugh during all that. <laughs> this is going to be huge. <laughs> you guys. It's about cars and stuff. <laughs> oh my God. It's a little movie about cars. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't even talk like that really, Jesus I don't think. Jesus Christ. Oh my well, God. it seems like it should be. I know, that was so funny. The faculty holds a 55% on Rotten Tomatoes with an audience score of also 55%. The site's consensus reads, ripoff of other sci-fi thrillers. <laughs> <laughs> That's all this is. Not even a ripoff, just a ripoff of other sci-fi thrillers. There was no article in it. I know. Jesus Christ. A consensus that could only be shorter if there weren't one at all. <laughs> On Metacritic, the film scored a 61, indicating generally favorable reviews. Audiences pulled by CinemaScore gave the film an average grade of B. Dennis Harvey of Variety wrote, The results might not be Nobel Prize material, but they're zesty and cogent. The AV Club said, Fine, lowbrow entertainment, a fast, funny pastiche of science fiction, horror, and teen movie archetypes. That is, aside from Scream, perhaps the most entertaining, fully realized film of the postmodern horror sci-fi cycle. Mm. A little less kind, Ron Wells from Film Threat said, It looks like Williamson threw five old scripts in the air and Rodriguez shot the first 90 pages he picked up. I'd like a little more meat on my burger because all I can taste is cheese. (laughs) (laughs) I like him. Yes. (laughs) The film did get a few accolades. At the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards, it was nominated for Favorite Actor Horror, Elijah Wood, and Favorite Female Newcomer, Clay Duvall. I mean, I... I can see nominations as accolades, right? Something's nominated. It was recognized. Oh, yeah, of course. I would totally call that accolades. I mean, we talk about nominations all the time for movies, right? Yeah. So, I mean, and I mean, as we'll get into later on, I think that I think the cast is really good for this movie. Just because it, you know, didn't win anything. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing on earth better than a backhanded compliment. (laughs) (laughs) The Saturn Awards, it was nominated for Best Horror Film, but lost to Apt Pupil, 
something we also should deep dive at some point. Oh, yeah. And Best Performance by a Younger Actor for Josh Hartnett. This is only his second film, I believe. The film has gained cult following in the years since its release, and it is oftentimes celebrated for its homages to the films that influenced it and how it cast them into the 90s teen tradition. Here, here. Yes. So let's talk about The Elephant in the Room. The cast. The movie. <laughs> <laughs> huh? There's yeah. several elephants in the room. <laughs> several. A very large cast of elephants in the room. I think one of the best things going for this movie is its cast, right? Both of like, you know, hot new teen stars and like seasoned older actors who round out some of the faculty's casting. And there's mm-hmm. even like random cameos by actors. I mean, like you can throw a, a rock in this movie and hit someone that's completely recognizable by face in this yeah, movie. Sure. I mean, I don't really recognize Jordana Brewster, uh, Laura Harris. You know, I, d- I don't really know them from other things, but they were two of the leads in this movie. I feel like Laura Harris went on to have sort of a Broadway musical career and Jordana Brewster has got some horror credit because she was in like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake later on and, um, you know, other films, especially the Fast and the Furious series, which I haven't seen, but I mean. Now, Clea Duvall actually got like some sort of like newcomer thing on MTV or something for Mm -hmm. this or nominated. But she was in Buffy. She's been she was on Heroes later in the early thousands. She's been scattered through a lot of different things and i always love seeing her yeah i really enjoy clay duvall especially in like um but i'm but i'm a cheerleader have you seen that movie Mm. where she's sent to like a camp to make her not a lesbian anymore but she falls in love with uh yeah she's so typecast and it's always like like the gothy like lesbianish of course she is a lesbian actress oh is she really yes she's a lesbian actress playing an actor that's accused of being lesbian but not really I do enjoy seeing her often, though. I mean, like she's she's interesting as an actress, and I mean, I just I mean, I just like the look of her. Maybe because I like lesbians. That a lot. jawline was made for Home Depot. <laughs> yeah. Well, Josh Hartnett is obviously one of the biggest comeouts of this movie, right? Because he went on to do a huge career. Obviously, he ended up in Penny Dreadful and a huge amount of late nineties and early thousands movies, including like Ten Things I Hate About Not Having Sex for Hundred Days or something like that. <laughs> I think it's something like that. It just rolls off the tongue, you know? I mean, he was also in like Halloween H2O, right? And he always has that goofy looking fucking messed up haircut every time he's in a movie where it's like sticking out in the back. But yeah, I mean, like he became a huge star and like 90s heartthrob, right? And yeah. I mean, well-deserved, right? And I recognize Sean Hotosi, but I this is the f- I, I don't know what from. He was the big jock, the star football player in this. Yeah, the jock who really wants to be like a really smart with a heart of gold. Yeah, yes. <laughs> he's like, I just want to study. I don't want to play football anymore. <laughs> I'm tired of football. Just give me that book. <laughs> so people can be more than one thing. No, they can't. <laughs> Not in movies. No. <laughs> And that is, you know, aside from like Usher Raymond, right, who plays another football player, right, who like that sort of rounds out the teen cast. But Usher, yeah. some of my favorite people in this movie are the like the older actors. The actual the faculty. faculty. Yeah. The faculty. Yeah. Salma fucking Hayek. Of course, she's a regular worker with Robert Rodriguez. And of course, I, I should say that uh, Josh Hartnett went on to work with Robert Rodriguez again in Sin City and mm-hmm. Elijah Wood as well. That's right. Mm hmm. Uh, he he does like to continue to work with people that he's worked with before, right? So Sama Hayek was also in like From Dust Till Dawn, right? Yep. Yeah, and Desperado and things like that. So yeah, she's all over Rodriguez. Yeah. And I like her in this movie. I think her character's kind of funny. Like she's playing like 
mousy a little bit and like sickly, you yeah. know, and it's just it's a really funny, small cameo kind of role. Right. Yeah. Famke Jansen of Jean Grey X-Men fame played kind of also a fairly diminutive, shy teacher. That's right. Hiding behind her glasses and her copy of Robinson Crusoe. Right. Yeah. She can't even control her own class. You know, it's like, so I look at Famke Jansen and I automatically think of like Bond. Right. And I always remember her being like just one of the most insanely beautiful women ever or in the nineties for sure. And they stick her in this role and she's just like, now does anyone know what Chris was feeling and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, (laughs) my God, I just don't even see it. Yeah. But she went on to the, do the taken series too, I think. And, uh, Hemlock Grove, which was, I think Netflix's first horror show. Yeah. Boring. Oh yeah. I could not make it through that. So I never finished it, but anyway, obviously Robert Patrick is the main call out here as far as like, you know, this is still the nineties, you know, and he's known for being, you know, Terminator two. Right. So, Mm -hmm. which we discovered. And he would later go on, as we said in those episodes to do things like the X-Files. Right. So, I mean, yeah, he was, he's good in this movie. He plays another good, like strapping villain. Right. Yeah. And of course, B.B. Newworth from Frasier fame, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, she even did like a guest stint on Will and Grace for a spell. Right. And she was very popular at the time um, in Chicago on Broadway. Oh, right. Oh, wow. So, yeah. She played Velma or whatever. Mm-hmm. Nice. But, you know, Film Flamer's favorite, Piper Laurie. Oh, yeah. Is also in this movie playing the. Underused, I might add. She should have been the goddamn queen. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, like, I want to see her walk around naked, but she kind of becomes the queen of the faculty, right? I mean, we're all led to believe that it's BB Newirth, but I mean, like, Piper Laurie really gets to stretch her alien legs in this, right? Because she comes in looking all pretty and less shy, which is a continuing theme in this movie when someone's infested with an alien, right? There are she looks changes. very, they all kind of look average McPlain rap until they're infested and it kind of rounds out their personality. Like Robert Patrick becomes less angry somehow. Mm-hmm. And uh, Famke Jansen becomes like sex pot after being shy. And then Piper Laurie was also a little, you know, bookish or whatever. A dowdy. Yeah. And then she becomes like queen of campus. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. So she's like, she's oftentimes seen like standing next to the coach character, coach Willis played by Robert Patrick, like drinking water and staring out of windows. They're the ones who get to attack a lot of the teachers and students and things like that. So I think they really give Piper Laurie a lot of things to do, but I think Piper Laurie shines the best when she's not like the lead actress anyway. Really? So, I mean, I, she's good in support. I want her to have some sort of powerful monologue where she gets to use that booming voice of hers, you know? Oh, that's true. And I guess for Carrie, they were both nominated for Best Actress, right? Is that what happens? No. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, obviously, we're getting to Jon Stewart, <laughs> which I liked. I liked him a lot in this. I like Jon Stewart whenever I see him, period. Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, we've got... A uh, cameo for Harry Knowles from Ain't It Cool News in the faculty <laughs> lounge. <laughs> and he's from Austin too, right? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So of yeah. Course, and there's some anecdotes guy. coming up about that too. So, um, But I mean, the whole reason that we're giving you Wood in September is for Elijah Wood, yep. right? And so like he really does. He's sort of like the main character in this movie out of a very large cast of characters. There's, yeah. And, and I wouldn't say he's he's i don't know like kind of main adjacent you know because it's not really clear until really the end who the hero is 
That's true. It could be any one of them, right? But I mean, in true like m- you know aliens movies or any like infestating alien movies, cast starts to get picked off, and we know who's been infested and who hasn't. And it's getting down to the wire, and there's just like him and Josh Hartnett's character Zeke, right? Yeah. And it could have been either one of them. The movie really sets up either one of them to be the ultimate hero of the movie, right? Yeah. But I mean, subverting tropes or whatever, of course, it's like the wimpy kid, right? Yeah. Well, speaking of tropes, let's look at some of the influences that are in this movie, which are many. So Aaliyah Whitley wrote in an essay revisiting Robert Rodriguez's The Faculty, which identifies the film's influences. Uh, she said, mix Invasion of the Body Snatchers and The Thing, throw in some Terminator, a spoonful of The Breakfast Club, and a pinch of Stepford Wives, and you've got a big mess of a movie set in a school that's taken over by a conformist alien, one teacher at a time. You've got the very funny, occasionally scary, quite gory, and extremely entertaining 1998 Robert Rodriguez film called The Faculty. Is her essay a review? I mean, like, I don't know. But, I mean, all those things are right. You can see every single... Yeah, yeah. especially every single one of those body, you know, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, The Thing, Stepford Wives, Terminator, a little less so. That was just, like, some casting, I think. And, Mm -hmm. you know, more of, like, a, you know, quick reference more than something that was an influence. You know what I mean? They influence a lot of things in here. They they call it Sigourney Weaver by name. They call it Nev Campbell by name. Mm -hmm. You know? So it's just really interesting. Uh, she goes on to say, it's all about examining the tropes of science fiction with a smart, funny angle. Half of the fun in this film is identifying where you first came across a certain character's name or saw a particular special effect. For instance, there's a brilliant moment with a head on legs that I defy you to watch and not think of a certain John Carpenter film, i.e. The Thing. The Faculty is very definitely a big mess of a movie, but if you love all things sci-fi, it's a good mess. I mean, I I kind of feel like when they are, you know, paying homage to some of these past movies or hanging lanterns and things like that, I think they're doing it really intentionally because obviously it's part of the script, right? And definitely part of the direction and part of the effects. It's almost meta in a way. And I mean, we had already seen some meta horror with Scream. Of course. And of course, it's the same writer. Exactly. So this was a little bit messier, I think. It almost feels like they just did this. They constructed the story around these influences. And then on a later pass, maybe even his pass, because it wasn't his original script. That's right. He actually threw in the meta commentary to hang a lantern on it, to make it a little bit more acceptable because it was blatantly ripping off of these other movies. And I wonder if his pass actually made it to where it was hanging a lantern on it, which is a writer's tool for, you know, plays and shows and movies to, you know, make the audience kind of excited. It's like a spoonful of sugar with a medicine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just be like, oh, you're like Sigourney Weaver right now. You know, it's like, yeah, the audience knows it. Now you know it. It's meta, you know, and it's, it's a little bit more accepting because they know what they're doing very intentionally. It, it, it does it so often, though, that it, I almost feel like it's a little lazy. Well, it, it seems almost like an internal citation page. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, we know we're copying this and the audience knows it. Let's go ahead and make some sort of like verbal or visual reference just so they know that we know yeah. that we're copying it. They didn't really know? subvert any of those tropes, though. So it was kind of just raw. Yeah. yeah. Well, and blatant, you know? And yeah. so, but I mean, I, I really enjoy those parts of the movie, though. I mean, because I mean, watching the faculty in the theater in 1998, as I did, you know, and already seeing, already haven't seen many of these movies, like The Thing, right? I can totally point it out, as I, I think any like stringent horror fan would. But I mean, in 1998, I was dragging some of my friends to go see things like Scream, I just, summer and faculty they had no idea you know what i mean so like to them it was all very original so yeah 
Yeah. And influences aside, it does have some of its own themes, right? Yes, yes it does. And one of them being obviously teenage alienation. Um, being different is being or being an individual equals good. Yes, which oftentimes I think you don't see that often in some teenage movies. Well, right? I feel like that's an often I, I would disagree. I think that's a very often used trope trying to get out of those clicks and you can be more than one thing and the jock becoming the nerd and the nerd becoming the jock and, oh, yeah. you know, doing all that stuff. I feel like that's kind of a coming age story. That's like a tale as old as time. Oh yeah. Cause we, I mean, I think of movies like she's all that or something where someone is like actively trying to be a different kind of person and it takes them the, the length of the movie to figure out that, you know, they're, their original individuality was yeah. good. And they didn't I got Olivia Newton-John this shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it, stud. <laughs> <laughs> but no, and I, I, I kind of like that because I, I remember, I mean, in 1998, when this movie had come out in December, I was already graduated from high school. It was in my first year of college, right? And I still was carrying over those like teenagery, like trying to fit in kind of things, right? And so I would gravitate toward movies like this anyway. I don't yeah. It's also a very Western kind of philosophy, right? Individualism versus, you know, you are one of community, you are one of the crowd. That's a little bit more Eastern. Yeah, you know? that's true. Mm-hmm. And so this is very kind of American or even just Western, you know, philosophy of individualism is a really good thing and something to strive for and being yourself and, and everything else versus conform. One of us, one of us, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's normal to us, but it's, it's also just something that we try and hammer into our youth, you know, through our pop culture sometimes. You know, but everything is a good and a bad, right? Like individualism is something that we in our society fairly well, you know, try to emulate both in government and and in our personal lives and everything else. And of course, lately we've been seeing individualism kind of go into another territory of like contrarianism. Yeah. You know, where it's just like, well, I'm I'm so much not part of the crowd that I'm gonna will be willfully ignorant, you know, like with vaccines and things like that. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I, I've gone on a huge tangent here, but no, but I can totally see what you're talking about, especially with this movie, right? So, I mean, like, the entire point of this movie is watching the faculty and other students slowly become very similar to each other. And we had this group who is an unlikely group of people, right? Like, in that high school society, they were completely aware of each other, but for the wrong reasons. Like, well, we're too different to be friends, and they have to come together and, like, solve a problem. Exactly. And I, I would say that the, the carrot that the queen alien or whatever is trying to dangle here is that you will fit in. You will fit in so well. There would be peace. Everyone works together. There's no problems here. Like, that's what you get from this. You steal yourself, but, like, everything is conforming and fitting like a, you know, a piece of a puzzle. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's kind of almost tempting, right? They're almost tempted in a, in a couple of places. But, you know, at the end of the day, they don't want to be taken over by a goddamn, like, tentacly alien. That's right. They don't want a fucking parasite to the ear, you know? Yeah. I mean, tongues only. And... I mean, I don't know. And I, we were talking about like, you know, changing throughout a movie and realizing that, you know, your your original individual self was the best. And I, by the time we get to the end of this movie, like the characters have really changed. Right. Mm-hmm. Or not even just changed themselves. They were just like sort of shedding the rumors and expectations of what their particular characters are. I think deep down, Stokely really wasn't that gothy. She just, you know, wanted people to leave her alone. And that was the character that she took upon herself right but by the end of the movie you know she's like in love with the ex-football star and then we have casey and delilah getting together and they've already had work together and i also think it's kind of neat that 
you know, while they were aware of each other, like they at least had some sort of like rapport with each other. Like Casey knew enough about Stokely to go say, hey, I have some of these science fiction questions. I need to ask you what happens in these novels you read, you know? Yeah. Just like any kind of small town, I feel like they all kind of knew of each other and what each other's interests were and their backstory and their history throughout grade school, most likely. Probably. So I like that there's like implied history here, you know, but at the end of the day, it was about, you know, the fear of losing your individuality to a crowd. It's true. You know, there's also a theme here of female sexuality. Yes. I think that's definitely all over this movie, especially because like we mentioned earlier, like some of the female characters in this movie become overtly sexual. Like the moment that they are sort of like infested with the alien parasite. Yeah. Like people that have actually like studied this movie also noted that, there is like a reinvention of the fear of female sexuality found like in, often in the horror genre. And the character of Mary Beth, for instance, who's the alien queen, is a complex imbrication of woman, alien in power, that acts beyond the role of femme fatale. She masquerades as a virginal, unassuming girl clad in floral dresses, but at the final battle, she reveals her true sexual threat, becoming nude by her alien transformation and turning confident and flirtatious. Her role as a threatening, castrating agent is underlined by the sharp teeth of her species, which evoke vagina dentata and their association to water, the archaic womb-like female element. As the monstrous mother of her race, she tries to seduce the heroes by offering them a symbolic return to the womb. As Sharon Packer and Jodie Pennington put it, the image on the screen is dual. We see the beautiful young naked Mary Beth strolling around looking for Casey and the shadow of the monstrous form in the walls. Mary Beth delivers a speech which ties the elements of the movie together. It's about the world she came from and its promises of paradise for lost and lonely humans trapped in high school hell. That's really like interestingly put, right? And I'm not sure that I noticed that upon first watch, right? I mean, obviously you would notice like the the, the changes in some of the characters, right? I mean, like you know, Miss Burke and um, you know Mrs. Olsen, Piper Laurie's character, like clearly look and act a little different, right? Oh yeah. But I mean, like her when she finally reveals herself to be the alien queen, and she finally is she's naked through most of the rest of the movie. Right. I mean, you don't see a whole lot, but no, just some um, boob and some ass. Right. And it does have the shadows on the wall of what her actual figure is and her whole monologue when she's talking to the kids that are left over about the paradise of her planet and what she can offer them. And like, you'll never be lonely. And I mean, she tries to make it as enticing as possible. And with also being completely monstrous and able to kill you if you don't want to conform. Well, speaking of Miss Burke, played by Famke Jensen, her story actually precedes Mary Beth in the same line, but revealing her hidden sexuality only after being infected and turned into a monster, like you just said. The scene of her detached tentacled head in particular echoes the Freudian Medusa head. The monstrous feminine is therefore used in the film to reflect the teenage characters entering adult world where they're forced to come to terms with female sexuality and overcome their fear of the monstrous aspects in order to become fully functioning adults. I don't know if I fully agree with that. I feel like sometimes, you know, a bird is just a bird type of situation. Yeah, I know. It seems a little reaching into it. Yeah, I mean, it's there, but it's not that deep into it. I think the first idea was was the closest. Although they do say like the feminization, like coming to terms of feminization is kind of an interesting idea in the terms of Casey, right? The male character closest to a softer feminine side is actually the final hero of the film. 
That's right. Not and the jock. No. Nope. And not the 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 smart ass, you know, drug dealer guy that knows everything. You know, it's it's the kind of the diminutive like guy that's just trying to do things, but he's also a lot more feminine than the other men in the story. And I, I like that. I like it when the hero is someone that you wouldn't expect, right? Who really has to overcome things and I don't know. I <laughs> I don't know that this would happen in 1998, but I would rather have seen that character gay even, you know what I mean? Like end up with a guy at the end of the movie or something instead, just to like create another aspect of like teenage culture and alienation and being able to like overcome that shit and be the hero of the day. Yeah. Um, I do agree that the, the things that we talked about with Mary Beth are a little bit more viable for me. Right. But of course, I mean like in any read that you do into a movie or book or anything is completely subjective. And as long as you can, you know, cite your sources and say why and make a, you know, cohesive argument, then it's okay. You know? Yeah. Um, so we talked about that head tentacle scene, right? Are there any other moments in this movie that, that really stood out to you from a visual standpoint? Well, maybe not a visual, but a visual storytelling standpoint. Yeah. Like obviously where they're all taking the drugs. It's yeah. Straight out of a thing. And that's my f- favorite part of this movie really is when they're all like tweaking and laughing and shit. And Zeke's like, he's tweaking, let him tweak, you know? And I'm just like, it's just a really fun part of the movie. And it does. I mean, it's just right out of the thing. It just makes it a little bit more nineties teen. Yeah. I also really enjoy the opening to this movie where the teachers are having that late night meeting and uh, Principal Drake is being chased through the halls by coach Willis. Right. Yeah. It opens in a very like classic formula, 90 slasher kind of way sure right and even to the point to where like she finally gets outside to piper Lori and she like drops all her emotion and just like destroys her with a pair of scissors it's a twist no. yeah i know a twist at the beginning of the film i don't know but uh yeah it completely changes and moves into more like sci-fi territory but it starts out as something that everybody would expect right yeah now I, I do want to mention that we we actually had a kind of an offline discussion over how similar this is in a way to that other film we actually did a flat flamers flashback on a couple months ago right oh the one that was super razor <laughs> the razor <laughs> disturbing behavior yeah, yeah disturbing behavior and of course that one felt like and of course it was like directed by like an x-files guy but it felt like a kind of a bad episode of x-files and faculty is very similar in the stuff for wives kind of connection there yeah but also i would say uh this one feels kind of like a good episode of buffy Yes. So the both 90s shows, you know, it just kind of felt like that. Well, and I think because and maybe it's my own turn to reach, but we're clearly given the sci-fi aspects in the in the faculty, like from the beginning. We know that there's aliens. We know that they're being, you know, infested with parasites and taken over pod style. Right. Yeah. Um, And disturbing behavior. It really became more of a mystery as to why people are acting like this. And you're trying to figure out the reason. So it's sci-fi toward the end of the movie, as opposed to like through all of it. Right. And also, I think in this, they try to make it more fun. Like there's a lot of comedy going on in this movie. Disturbing behavior. We were laughing at it's kind of a downer, <laughs> but yeah, not for the right reasons. Yeah, not for the right reasons, you know. We're laughing at like their their acting and, and things like and, and like the stupid dialogue that's not even meant to be funny. I mean, one is just a much more enjoyable movie, yeah. and the other is kind of a flaming piece. One of One kind of knows itself, and one is trying to be more than it is. Yeah, yeah, and, completely. You know, I bind you, Mary Beth. I bind you from doing harm. Harm against yourself, not against others. <laughs> We should have just been pointing Katie Holmes from doing harm against others is what it is in that movie. 
God. This movie has an amazing soundtrack. That's right, because it came from the 90s. Yep. So we've got covers of Pink Floyd's Another Brick in the Wall, parts one and two. We've got Creed on there. We've got Soul Asylum, Garbage, Stabbing Westward, Cheryl Crow, Sean Mullins, Oasis. It's just a stacked soundtrack. I remember loving It's Over Now by Neve, right? It was one of my favorite songs in the late 90s. I just, and anytime I listen to like the 90s alternative station on Sirius XM and they play it, I just go fucking apeshit in my car, you know? I'm like, a cold routine or something. I'm just like, well, it feels like all of these films, even like the, the one we were just talking about, why do I keep forgetting its name? Because it's terrible. It's disturbing behavior. Disturbing behavior. <laughs> was just like, there's so much 90s songs just like stuck in there, like only for like 10 seconds at a time or something. It's like so jarring. And I didn't notice this in the, back in the 90s. You know, I was like, oh, that's my job. I know. You know. But now I'm just like, Jesus Christ. Like other movies don't do this. Like this is very particular, like 95 to 99, you know, teen movie type of shit. And like, you don't see that again until like actually now with Fear Street, where yeah. they did that. Like, it was like 20 different 90s songs in the first 20 minutes. That's right. It was it's fucking you crazy. I mean, it's like knowing a target audience and really going for it. And like, clearly in the 90s with these movies like Scream, Summer, and everything that came before it, like, they had these soundtracks that were completely marketable. Except bankable. Scream didn't use it like their soundtracks super you know, non-diegetically there was like schools out for the summer and other things that kind of played non-diegetically, but it didn't shoehorn in all those songs. Like it was a fucking, we get radio station playing the entire fucking movie. Not like, not like this movie or disturbing, certainly not just like disturbing behavior. What's another way? A little more conservative with using their soundtrack is what I'm trying to say. Well, and they also used artists that they really leaned into Marco Beltrami and his score was great in that movie. And I mean, they used songs that weren't quite popular at the time in scream. Right. And, um, but I think people still like, ate that soundtrack up but it was just another way to market at these teens like here's the songs you like they're in this movie go buy the soundtrack go see the movie right but now that we're older and on the inevitable march toward death we watch movies like fear street that gives us all the songs that we had known before it does sort of like beat you over the face with it i mean it's just like another way to market at certain kinds of people but at least you're still marketing toward us you know i mean yeah well i got some fun facts for you oh good yeah only three oh yeah So the role of Delilah was originally written for Charisma Carpenter. She turned it down because she felt the role was way too similar to her character Cordelia on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar, the title star for Buffy, obviously, also turned down the role in uh, The Faculty. Same role? I, I, I doesn't say, but... I would assume so. I would assume. I don't see Sarah Michelle That or Mary Beth, I don't know. Maybe. It would be funny if they were like reverse rolled. I kind of want to see Sarah Michelle Gellar like cut her hair off and be the uh, like the rumored lesbian. Yeah, I don't I mean, know. What a twist! So Gillian Anderson turned down the role of Valerie Drake, the principal. Oh my god! I mean, I can see it because I like Gillian Anderson, but BB Newworth in this movie is so good. And David Duchovny for the coach. That would have. Been- <laughs> oh my god! I know, just pandering at that point. <laughs> <laughs> so for my last, it was on the set of this film that Harry Knowles. Remain at Cool News first got wind of Peter Jackson making the Lord of the Rings into the movie, into the movies, its trilogy, whatever. He urged Elijah Wood to go for it, even though the actor had never really read the book or heard much about it, which Wood duly did, uh, ignoring the news that Jackson was largely casting British actors and videotaped his own audition. And then later on would become one of the biggest movies in the world and would fully cement him into leading man status. Yeah. Right. He's a maniac. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to talk about that movie next week. I've been thinking about it all day and I have things to say. <laughs> oh. 
So those were really fun facts. And I like thinking about Charisma Carpenter any chance that I possibly can. So thank you for that. But we have some questions to ask about the faculty, like we do about every movie that we deep dive into here on the Film Flamers. And we're going to start with, is the faculty a horror movie? Through and through. Clearly. It's other people's horror movies. That's right. Wrapped it's many, many horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, if you have heads walking around on fucking tentacles and attaching itself back to the body, I mean, come on now. Yeah. Uh, were you scared while watching The Faculty? No. No. No, I can't even say that I was scared when I was a kid. I mean, like, it's really, really, really predictable yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's that's yeah that's another thing i forgot to mention i i basically guessed every little twist and plot thread going forward i was like uh with the whole like the drug thing i was like as soon as it's all caffeine pills i was like it's diuretic it, it's diuretic <laughs> <laughs> they get rid of water and as soon as mary beth was on the screen you're like isn't she the queen and i was just like <laughs> fuck have you seen this movie and i can't even pretend to I was like, like it was her first day it's obvious that i she's... know i can't even pretend to like guide you away from it i'm like maybe not the queen you know i'm just terrible but yeah i mean like it's too hard to even build suspense when your movie is so predictable and formulaic right that's not necessarily a bad thing because i really enjoy watching this movie but it's not scary and you sort of know what's coming yeah away. I, I pretty much nancy drew it in the first five minutes I'm, immediately <laughs> <No>. <laughs> during the credits you're like queen <laughs> fuck so out of five stars what would you rate the faculty i gave it a three star I feel like the first half, um, maybe even the first, you know, third to two thirds. I don't fucking know. Somewhere in there, roughly a half. It's like a four star movie. Like I really love how this is set up, and mm-hmm. it's really tongue in cheek, and it knows itself. You know, all the discoveries, all the discovery work, and it just kind of falls apart and gets messier and messier for me, and kind of devolves into kind of like a two star execution. So I had to kind of met in the middle and I gave it a three. Okay, I mean, I can totally see that review. I give the faculty four stars. And I mean, some of it is nostalgia boner because mm-hmm. when this came out, I really like grabbed onto this movie. I just, I loved everything about it. It checked off all my boxes and I watched it a lot. I just fucking love it. And I still watch this movie a lot. Like I revisit it. I would even go so far as to say it's probably somewhere in my top 20 favorite horror movies ever. Wow. So, um, but not five stars, obviously, because I mean, like there's some problems with this movie. It is a big mess. Like we said throughout it, but it's enjoyable. Yeah. And it makes me think about the 90s. Yeah, it's a fun watch. Yeah. Yeah. Great I would watch it again. So, I mean, perfect. Yeah. Finally, and some might say most importantly, who's the hottest guy in the faculty? I want to say Josh Hartnett. He's super cute. I remember liking him a lot in the 90s. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of lanky. But every time he's in a movie, I would like... He was really goofy here. It's yeah. the goofiest appearance I've ever seen him on, you know, but he's still fucking sexy. He is sexy. Every time I see him in a movie or a TV show, I would totally, like, fuck him. I'm like, yeah, it's good. But for me in this movie, there's no one fucking hotter in the 90s and the 2000s and the 2010s. As long as he's alive, I will say fucking Usher is gorgeous. That's true. <laughs> I mean, like, if you were only shirtless more in this movie, it's the one thing it was missing. He looks like a black angel. My God, he's just an angel, period. Oh my God. I mean, talk about fucking boner alert. Every time he made a music video in the 90s, I was just like, well, I have to excuse myself for a minute. I need a private moment. Cherubic. Cherubic? It's his cheeks. (laughs) Which ones? Both. (laughs) 
Well, guys, I think that about wraps up our episode on the faculty. Have you seen it recently? Let us know what you thought of it. You can let us know on social medias at the Film Flamers on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com. Or you can call our hotline at 972-666-7733. Let your voice be heard. We have a parasite that wants to go right in your ear. (laughs) (laughs) Also, we have some more wood coming for you in September. And next week, we're going to be covering... Maniac. Maniac from 2012. The remake of the classic slasher from 1980. Maniac. (laughs) (laughs) Of the same name. And head over to patreon.com slash thefilmflamers to find all of our bonus content, including this month where we put up a poll letting our patrons pick their wood. That's right. Choose from a variety of wood. (laughs) How many times are we going to make this innuendo? We've got The Good Sun. We've got Deep Impact on there. We've got Cooties. We've got Oak. And... Come to daddy. Laminate and wait. <laughs> laminate. <laughs> oh, I love that we're making gay 40s jokes now. <laughs> Finally, if you enjoyed this episode or any of our episodes, head over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Leave us a five-star review, a little bit why you like us, and we will read that on Shooting the Flames in October. That's right. <sighs> well, Chris, I need to go find something that's guaranteed to jack me up. Mm. A parasite? Do you want to go and have some uh, sweet dreams? You can, I mean, like, they totally imply that Zeke is fucking that teacher by the end of that movie, right? The beginning of it. They don't even hide it. He was like, do you want this condom? want to do it right now or whatever? Like, oh, that's right. Oh, my God. How inappropriate. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> Just me? <laughs> <laughs> no, I fucked a professor.